and we're back episode number five and and you've come back for more ladies how are you i'm good how are you Sunday. I'm always sad on a Sunday, I feel, because you know it's the start of the next week. The amount of rain that we have had in the last Eight. four days. Oh, we're flooded where I live. Hemel Hempstead's officially flooded. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I like I like me some rain, yeah, but four days boring. of rain consistently. I, I feel like that... It, I was going to say, I feel like um, Joey sat on the window in Friends just watching <laughs> watching the rain going, what's that song? All by myself. Yes, I have a very bad singing voice, but who cares? When I see rain and someone's staring out, it feels like you've got you to be playing some U2. It's got to be deeply heartfelt. It's like a sort of a with or without you vibe. <laughs> Somebody is just like going, ah, oh, yes. And then they sort of crossfade to something. If anyone ever wants to write a soundtrack for my life, it will heavily feature U2. Mm-hmm. And Elton John. We've already had this discussion about sound- soundtracks and, and how we, we have like these continuous soundtracks playing in our heads, which our listeners won't get. We had a lot of feedback. Um, one thing I will say is I remembered the name of the book. It is Invisible Women. The amount of people who contacted me saying, was that the book you mentioned? Yes, it is. It is uh, available. Um, I purchased it. It's on my bedside. It's ready to read. Yeah. There you go. It is honestly, it's an eye opener. It it was one of those books that gave me so much information, but it made me so angry as well. Like <gasps> there's so much unconscious bias going on around me, and I I wasn't even aware. Okay. So if you haven't, definitely recommend that book. What about you guys? What did what do you think? I mean, I have some follow up, and I have to, you know, credit the concept of follow up to a uh, one uh, John Syracuse. Uh, who gets very upset if you don't credit him with the concept of follow-up. But So I did want to add to episode two, I think one of the things I didn't particularly articulate was my general disdain for some, uh, an industry and a skill set I love being infiltrated by scammers. I don't hope I didn't come across as completely narcissistically gatekeepery. I really worry that people are being scammed into thinking that in you know uncertain times as covid is and uh, economically uncertain times I hate the thing I hate the thought that people are preying on people who go I can be a programmer with very little effort it's like no 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 sweetheart you can't it's a commitment and I th- I think that's where that that whole topic really came from and I don't think and I th- I think that's where that that whole topic really came from and I don't think I articulate that particularly well it, but it's really interesting the the amount of feedback we got about that where people feel that maybe it, maybe it's a it's a case of it it's it's much harder nowadays to to learn pure coding or, or coding the way you would have like in the eighties when you know computers etc were just kicking off but but people also feel like there's an inherent problem in the industry where it's just not friendly to new newcomers anymore they expect you to ha- to have a certain level or a skill set. Well, I think that the, the difficulty is when I learned a program in the sort of late 90s, early noughts, the, the world was smaller, the, the sort of tech space, was a, it was a smaller bubble. Like, if you look at the way everything's expanded, it is a lot harder, everything is more abstract. 
and that brings with it a great deal of problems because you end up with all a lot of people who understand how to use libraries and how to take advantage of all of the all of this rich infrastructure without ever understanding what's below the hood and unfortunately sometimes you've got to you've got to go below the surface and 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 it all falls apart for us but just the sheer complexity of the systems that now exist if you i mean this is one of the reasons why i like being a zenial you know exist a serious guide and again you know we talked about this in episode two but that's that's why this podcast really ultimately exists it is for hopefully for women young women older women who can go shit i want to go and learn that stuff and well the best way often is to go a future episode which is um we can talk about how what they learn at school and is it is it right what they learn at school because um i've got two daughters and i quite often look at their um curriculum and think you know, you could have made this a little bit more interesting because it doesn't, it's very similar to what I learned. And tonight's first topic is about tech, technology or gadgets in our house. So my young daughter, nine years old, said to me, Mummy, you haven't got a Ringo doorbell. Everybody else has got a Ringo doorbell. Surely a Ringo doorbell where you can tell who's at your doorbell is, uh, uh, with your mobile, is just what everyone has. It's the norm. So... It's interesting is how much of our life is taken over or is governed or almost controlled in some ways by gadgets. And I love gadgets. Um, I know you do, Kat. And what have you recently bought? My love of shiny technology knows very few bounds. I mean, I'm sitting in a room where I can talk to it with two different names you know we have the amazon lady in the tube we have the apple provided lady in the tube i'm not going to say their voices oh sorry i'm not going to say their names but i could ask them both to turn the lights off to play some music but you know deep down i am a, a disgusting apple fan girl I, I used to be on the android train but really you know i am team apple these days and i have you know the series 6 apple watch um no. i've had the series 5 4 3 two and zero i did skip the one there is something about i mean for me gadgets i like living in the future i don't it would be hard for anyone who didn't grow up in the sort of 70s 80s to appreciate what today is like it's just so much more convenient isn't it It, well it's so much more convenient but just the things we now take for granted would look like magic to five-year-old, ten-year-old me, or even my parents. If I was my age now in the 80s, the thought that when I got into my house, a computing device on my wrist would tell me to wash my hands, would be constantly monitoring the amount of oxygen in my blood, my blood pressure, um, how many steps I've walked, uh, what my current heart rate was, whether I'd been exercising that day, how many days or hours I've stood, would give me feedback on all of that and tell me how to adjust it. Would say, "Hey, maybe you should like stand up because you have like we live in the future, and it feels like in the last twenty. And I, I love it. It's it's, it, it's interesting. I was gonna say, I I am the complete opposite. Which anyone listening is gonna think, God, like what era is she from? Um, don't get me wrong, I like my gadgets, but I have this 
um, I don't know whether it's just I'm so aware of the fact that there's there there's so much that it takes away from me, which actually I enjoy doing, you know. So um, really good example is and and we were talking about this I think a couple of uh, evenings ago, ladies uh, is about you know things like you can get your your home system to switch off your lights and switch them on and change the temperature in your room, and it's really small things. But for me, you know, if I'm if I'm going and switching a light off, I'm like, I don't I don't mind doing that. Um, I'm I warrior guys, but yeah, like um, last year I was given like a, a home hub system by you know a brand, or was it this year at the start of this year? And I just gave it to someone because I knew that I wasn't going to use it. And last year when I I had a flatmate, um. Like in the morning, you know, you'd hear like the home hub, like wake up with like some music and sometimes read emails out or something. I, it used to annoy the hell out of me. It's, it's like, stop this thing. Um, so yeah, I have a very weird relationship with tech where I, I appreciate good tech, you know, so there's that the whole debate of like sh tech should be for good. Um, and if you've watched anything on Netflix recently, there's a really good program talking about, you know, this, the, the social dilemma around, you know, how much of your life. Social dilemma, the program where they all worked for these companies for years and years and made lots of money and all of a sudden they developed a conscience. Yeah, but I mean, if you t take take away the fact that these people are complaining, I get, I definitely understand that bit, right? But if you still, if you look at it from a fundamental point of view, the way we are growing up to people the way um, Gen Z are growing up, like you said, Kat, like you don't have to get up from your seat. You can literally shout a specific name and a, and a home hub of any kind will do things for you, which means the next generation are going to become lazy by default because they're not, you're... It's interesting you say lazy, but the other part of that is that, you know, um, they have more time to do other things. So it's, it, it depends on how you use that time. For me, my favourite thing ever is that the fact that I can double click and pay. That's the, just the most convenient. That, for me, that's the best. <laughs> Nothing beats that. I think oh don't I, get me wrong i i do that i, I everything uh, is on my phone like i don't i don't carry cash so as much as i say i i, <laughs> I don't like tech when it's convenient for me yes i will use it right it's it's great i don't have to carry my any money around i don't have to carry my credit cards around i can just just go and pay with my phone but i'm also also conscious that my phone has so much power um if i lost my phone i would lose you know i probably wouldn't be able to get home because i couldn't get an uber i wouldn't have any money on me it's London. Would I ask a stranger for some money? It's crazy, Probably isn't not. it? I, that's why I take umbrage with the with the sort of categorization of it being lazy. I I think what what we're doing is seeing uh, we're seeing a collapse of your sort of personal environment into a much more engaged space. So, for example, when you're out of the house, you are carrying your phone, you're carrying a camera which can record memories for you so you don't have to remember them. It remembers your numbers, you're, you've got your AirPods or whatever connected thing, you can make phone calls by just talking to your watch. The sort of computational reality that, it is, that surrounds people now is very perfect alone, so being able to talk to something and get responses is quite nice, but I think there's a, there's a certain aspect of God, I don't want to say the evolution of humanity because that sounds really poncy, but there is an aspect where we are evolving towards a very different type of, of, of organism where we have externalised 
these quite important aspects of sort of who we are and what we're doing to the devices we carry and the devices like I can, you know, Ashfield can now see outside. Like when someone tries to enter her space and where she defines it, you know, used to define it at the edge of her skin, but now she can define it as the edge of her property. Because if someone rings her doorbell, she can see them. <laughs> it's the, the, that this can go horribly wrong. I mean, Charlie Brooker has made a career out of writing stories where that is true. In the next 10, 15 years, and, and how that will change, or at least make simpler those tasks. And uh, to bring this back to the topic of this podcast, because we all know in most relationships where the burden of work falls, especially in... By talking about some of these things, it just shows that that you know the opportunities out there for women in tech is not just in you know banking or insurance or like some of the things that we do it's 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 about kind of modernizing life so tech that's what tech does so you could be working in you know you could be working to create the next generation gadget couldn't you that you know pos- that will possibly change somebody's life i think the reason why women should go into tech is if you don't know a problem exists, you'll never fix it. Yeah, because um, the book, which I keep quoting, and I have no, like, I do not get royalties for this book, right? But Invisible Women, the one thing it does is it highlights all of these areas where continuously things are, 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 are putting women at a, at a disadvantage. And maybe, yeah, we can find, you know... Um, the gap in in the tech industry and 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 how to to remove some of that. But someone actually reached out to 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 me this morning on our Twitter Queens OTT Age, um, and and this wasn't a woman actually, um, and and they were saying that as as a guy they realised how much of the internet is built for Caucasian American men, and since they've realised that they can't see it in the same way. So it's really interesting that actually it's not just about being the opposite de- gender. It also depends on where a lot of that tech is made and how society is, is different in, in different locations, etc. So the more diversity and representat- representation there is at these tables where, you know, huge pieces of tech and the future is being spoken about, the more chances of these decisions and hopefully being fair to everyone. We had a discussion recently, and I guess it all, it all links into some of the some of the viewpoints we, we spoke about in our first episode about why this is important to us about sharing our experiences etc and and the 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 point of hopefully supporting and helping people find their voice so we have um a lovely guest speaker for the second second segment um her name is natasha saeed she is an ex-software engineer now working as a product manager in silicon valley for a healthcare startup so natasha has written an article about finding your voice at work which I think is something that we've all we've all gone through, um, through through our respective careers, um, and she shares some sort of insight um, in a conversation with Kat. Before we go into that, I'd like to ask you guys: What are the tips and tricks you've learned um, in your careers in terms of you know helping find your voice? I would say, actually, do you know what? There's two things. I'd say. Um, sometimes you don't have the confidence. Sometimes you can be in a meeting or you could be in a, a surrounding and you don't you don't speak up, and it's it's understanding that that's okay too. 
and you know when you do want to contribute or when you do have to say something or when you do have an opinion it's to be spoken and to be bold because quite often it's better to be it's it's better to have an opinion than to not have one and to speak up don't care if I upset or offend men I do not need their permission to be in this room and when I got to that point I was a lot more successful in my career because I got to a point where I wasn't afraid to speak up and speak over people and keep speaking until I was heard which is the real trick is being heard and if I come across as a heinous bitch I'm okay with that that point let's go straight into the interview where we've got cat catching up with natasha we have our first guest speaker joining us natasha how are you i am fantastic how are you we are good thank you what time is it out in san francisco i'm on labor day so we're off today perfect happy labor day well thanks thanks for taking that um giving up your 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 well-earned holiday to do it. And your lunch hour. Well, not that if you're off, then yeah. Well, I'm just sitting here having just had dinner. But she is a software engineer working in San Francisco. She is currently working for a healthcare startup, but in her spare time, she is an advocate for women in STEM, women in leadership. She was the founder of Unboxed, which was a subscription magazine focusing on highlighting women in STEM and the hard work that they're all doing. And now, Natasha, as far as I believe, you are doing a lot more work out in Southeast Asia and looking to potentially move to Europe at some point as well and get involved in some Women in STEM initiatives. That'd be fantastic. I mean, that's the goal. That is the goal. If Europe will have me. So, Natasha, recently you wrote an article about finding your voice and we discussed this in depth and me and Kat were talking about it before this the session about how we thought it was really um, an important topic and probably something that our viewers would find quite useful. What did you mean by finding your voice? And and it'd be good to just kind of get a high level summary as to, to why you thought it was really important to share that. Yeah, so um, I, for me, it's, uh, it's twofold. Um, the first thing is uh, being comfortable with who you are and what your opinion is. Um, and a lot of that is uh, derived from how you grew up, you know, um, where where you're from, what your experiences have been. And so to go into a room and to be extremely comfortable with saying, this is what I think, um, you know, and I agree or I disagree with you for X, Y, and Z reasons. So bringing your diversity into the mix and not being afraid of that. Um, and the second, the second part is, um, you know, like actually articulating it. Right. And so a lot of the times, um, you know, you'll think um, things and you'll be like, oh, I don't know if I agree with this or maybe we shouldn't be doing X, Y and Z. But um, the the uh, the strength to articulate that and give a why, um, I think, is the second piece of finding finding your voice and why it's so important. And, you know, it is something everybody has to do when they walk into an office for the first time and are outside their comfort zone. How do you think sort of the intersectional aspects of it come into play? intersectional 
I, you know, um, for example, you know, being a woman is one, you know, one part which makes it difficult. Being of an ethnic minority background, being LGBTQ, there are sort of intersectional things that make that. Difficult. I think, I think, um, I think, uh, looking at it from you know an intersectionality lens, it just, I think, the more uh, sort of, I think mm. of it as like axes, right? And so the more axes that you have, the harder it is for you to find your voice. Um, because the harder it is for the other person to relate to you, right? And so maybe you can relate to me as, as a woman, but if I come from a Southeast Asian background and you're Caucasian, then that relation will, you know, a, like that, the ability to empathize will only go so far, right? And then add a layer of like, a, say I may be LGBTQ, um, then that's, you know, then that, that um, empathetic layer only goes so far, whatever have you, right? But I think that bringing... Um, bringing all of these different layers into a room is extremely important. Um, I think especially in tech, especially if you want to bring, build products at scale, um, because without these diverse opinions um, and without these various layers, you're, you're going to build things that work within a very specific universe and that are not going to scale to diverse people. It doesn't make business sense. Um, if you want to really look at it from that perspective, right? And so that's why it goes back to A, one, it's really important to, to understand your voice and stick to it um, and to be able to articulate it. And on the other end, it's equally important for the people listening to be able to step back and accept what is, um, what is being articulated, right? Because all of us have biases, right? Um, uh, and for me to, you know, sort of step back, understand that I am biased towards specific things, um, and be more welcoming and uh, of of what that bias may be, and course correct on it is is equally important as articulating, um, articulating one's voice. So, what inspired you to write it? So, uh, was there any particular thing looking back in your career where you suddenly had a realization that that put into a you know, sort of distilled it down to oh that's what I have to do? Actually, not super like inspirational it was more of a wtf moment um and so we're building um you know i was i was working on a specific feature and in there um you know we were uh identifying whether end users have a condition um and we had to identify what sort of severity that condition was right so for something like heart disease you can say low medium high or whatever have you right so one of the conditions listed on there was pregnancy um and a it was called a condition i was like okay, fine, that's a little offensive, but fine. Um, the second thing was they were trying to put um, a severity on it. And so I was kind of like, how do you, how are you low, medium or high pregnant? Like, I don't, I think it's a binary thing from what I understand, um, unless I've missed something here. And so I remember just looking at that, that feature spec. And I remember just thinking like, how has nobody caught this? And I remember looking at the Zoom call and I'm like, there is not a single woman like in this call. No wonder nobody's caught this because like immediately I was like, this doesn't make sense, right? And I was like, oh, like they, this would have hit production. Like this would have gone to tens of millions of users, you know, all over the US if someone hadn't been like, oh, this doesn't make any sense, right? And so I was like, that's why it's important to bring, I know, and I know this is very trivial and, you know, whatever have you, but that's, that was my aha moment of, you really need to bring that voice to the table because if I hadn't, then it would have been, I mean, it would have been a disaster otherwise. Marriage happens and, you know, if you're traditional, like, oh, wait, wait, then you're sort of stuck in that, well, what do you mean I can't change my name? Oh, 
bunch of people sat around and going, yeah, no one ever changed their name. That's immutable. Or the other classic, oh god, I have so many of these on names. It's like, names have to be at least three characters long. No. Quite a lot of people. Ah, uh, yeah. Of, um, so uh, in uh, a lot of Middle Eastern countries, um, you know, the first name comes from the father and the the middle name or the last name comes from the grandfather. Um, and you do that enough time and you have a generation of, of people whose first and last names is the same. So you have people called Usman Usman or Ramsey Ramsey or whatever have you. And whenever they go to fill out any sort of form, it, it kind of throws an error because it's like, oh, first name cannot equal last name, right? Or more, or more, more sort of more, um, obviously, you know, we're, we're in the UK, you're in the US, where it's sort of given name, surname. No, it's not true everywhere. I, I guess, so the challenge always is that, I mean, when you spot something like that at work, it can be enormously difficult to, to be heard and raise that concern in a way that will be actioned. Like, what advice do you have for anyone, especially I'm thinking someone more junior, without the, you know, without decades of experience, how would you suggest they go about, you know, getting that actioned? Yeah, so a lot of it comes from like, no one can make change on their own. Um, and a lot of influence does come from more senior people speaking up for you. Um, and so I, by no means did I, can I say that I found my voice by myself? Like, yes, I, I, I found a way to articulate it, but the support I got from the more senior people in the room is what really gave me the confidence to be much, much stronger in voicing my opinion. And it was literally people looking at my facial expression, knowing that I have something to say and being like, hey guys, wait, I think Nidhi um, wants to say something. Um, or hey, Natasha brings up a good point or, or whatever the case is, right? And actually getting that implemented. Um, and so, uh, and a lot of the times, honestly, they were guys, um, given the nature of the industry that you're in, given that you're in, you know, product engineering, whatever, you're going to be surrounded by guys. Right. And so, um, now on my end of it, now that I am more senior, I can give back to the more junior people in the room, knowing I've been there before at the time it was building those relationships with the senior people at my company. Um, and, and that that relationship building is what really helped them know me on a personal level and then advocate for me in the meeting room, right? Because the meeting, the meetings always happen before and after the meeting is scheduled, right? Uh, like the meeting itself is always a delivery of, hey, this is what we're gonna do, right? Um, and so yeah. making sure that you are, you are in the rooms before and after the meeting and you're in those conversations is what has been really important um, in me building my influence within an organization and then getting the support that I do need within the meeting itself. Mm -hmm. And do you think it's changed? So, you know, now you've become more senior, you get to be that sort of mentor role for, for younger people. But do you think, have you seen a real change over the time since you've had that career path or is it still just as bad? Um, I think it's slowly changing. I think um, more people are being vocal about things that make them uncomfortable. But I still see the uh, constant like eye roll of, oh, like, okay, here we go again. Like, you know, complaining over the tiniest little thing, whatever, right? And so you'll still have that from, especially from a lot of senior, senior folks who like spent a lot of their prime career in a very masculine environment, in a, in a toxic environment, whatever the case is, they just cannot wrap, wrap their head around the fact that these shifts are happening. Um, and so 
in that sense. But I think the younger generation has gotten a lot better in being vocal and being supportive of each other. Like um, the younger, uh, the more junior folks, like have no problem calling senior folks out and being like, uh, so-and-so just said that, like you're, mans or you're mansplaining right now, or you're doing X, Y, and Z right now, like that's racist, that's this, that's that, right? Um, and so I'm actually really proud to see that. Um, and I, I'm excited to see now that this younger generation does get into senior roles, what, time, what kind of a trickle-down effect does that have within like organizations and company culture? Do, um, and I, I hate the phrase, the new normal, but obviously a lot of people are working at home now, so, you know, we're lucky enough to be in tech and have that option but it takes away a lot of the FaceTime that you have with those. How, what do you think we can do as senior engineers to still give people help to find their voice in a sort of lockdown environment where, as I said, people aren't in the pre and post meetings because once you turn the Zoom call off, it's gone. I think, um, you know, having those one-on-one -on -one conversations, whether it's on Slack, whether it's, hey, are you comfortable with the socially distant coffee? Um, I have a lot of engineers that are, uh, that are on my team. I'm a product manager now, so I, I'm not an engineer. Um, but um, I have a lot of engineers that are comfortable with that. And so I will go into the office twice a week and they know that I'm there and they'll just ping me and be like, yeah, um, let's go for a socially distant walk or whatever, right? Um, but really it's, it's making sure, you know, extract away the fact that you're at work, extract away the fact that, you know, colleagues, whatever, and just understanding people at a human level um, is that people want to feel heard and want to feel some sort of a connection with each other. And that can come via a message, via an email, via a WhatsApp chat, whatever the case is, right? Whatever your comfort level is. Um, a lot of small things I do is um, I'll never go into a meeting or um, a conversation being like, this is what I want. It's going to be more, hi, how are you? Um, especially like, are you doing okay? Have you had a chance to go to the bathroom? Have you had a chance to eat? Like all of these things, because I feel like we are so slammed and like the day just blurs and we're working a lot more in this new normal um, where I've had times where, um, you know, my project manager is like, hey, like I've literally not gone to the bathroom since like eight in the morning. Um, and so, and it's like 3 p.m. at this point. To be fair, that that is that's impressive. That is that is that is that is a, that's a bladder to be proud of. Yes, that is a bladder to be proud of. But it's also like as a leader, your chance to be like, take the thirty minutes. I'll run the meeting. Don't worry about it. Go eat. Go to the bathroom. Like go for a walk, whatever, and then come back, right? And so it's one creating an environment where people feel comfortable enough to voice these sorts of things and don't feel like they'll be reprimanded. And two, the second it actually comes to your attention, you actionably address it in a way that the other person feels like they're hurt. Um, and you continue to build that relationship online with. Yeah, I think one of the other really important things that jumped out of the article I read uh, that you wrote uh, was the piece on setting boundaries and establishing boundaries. So important, so important. I feel like, um, especially now in this quote unquote new normal, um, I feel like if you don't have a specific time where you're like, this is when I start and this is when I end, then people will just be all over your schedule. You know what I mean? And so I think it is critical for you to just like not respond to that email over the weekend, in the evening, like it doesn't matter. And the thing is, it's kind of like the honeymoon period, right? Where nobody wants to say the bad thing about their partner in the honeymoon period or whatever, right? And then you're like, whatever, six months, a year in, and you're having to deal with this, this frustrating habit or behavior, and then you bring it up and everyone's like, well, why didn't you say anything before? 
right? And mm-hmm. so you, I know you want to be the go-getter employee. I know you want to be like, you know, the person on top, but good careers are marathons and not races. And in order for you to actually do well in a marathon, you have to set boundaries. You have to pace yourself. You can't just be go, go, go working 15 hours a day all the time, right? Um, it's bad for you and it's bad for like the team environment as well, right? And so be very clear about the fact that you're not going to respond, that you need to take the day off, that you need to take a break, and then actually take it. Um, and people might get annoyed once or twice, but the third time around, they're going to know that you're not available and they will readjust to you 100%. Think about it from a business perspective, the cost of letting you go, finding somebody else, ramping that person on, having them then be effective is so much more expensive from a business perspective than just being like, fine, like this person doesn't respond to emails after five o'clock, I'm going to email them at 9am or slack them at 9am. You know what I mean? So the cost benefit, like, is just think of it from that, that perspective and just set your... Do you think we've got better at setting boundaries as an industry? Or do you think we're still... If anything, I, if anything, it almost appears, you know, with the rise of mobile technology, we've actually got worse at it. I think we have gotten worse at it. Um, I think that, uh, especially being in the valley, I feel like you're in a bubble of sorts where there's always something new coming out. You always need to be ahead of the game. And even though it's so, it's so interesting because on one end, Everyone here is um, all about mental health and eating right and exercising and emotional health and all that other stuff. And then on the other end, you're still working whatever, 16, 17 hours a day because the app releases tomorrow, you need to get it out the door, blah, 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 whatever the case is, right? And so I think that now with everything being online, it's even, it's even worse. And so you do, you're gonna have to come to a middle ground at some point. What I don't want tech to become is like the finance investment banking you know of of like the world right um and and looking at how those industries work um is not very attractive and that takes all of the fun out of tech and so hopefully we do find that new normal so what advice would you give to say a i don't know a, a 20 odd year old computer science graduate uh she's just come out into the workplace joined a company maybe it's a big one uh what what would, what advice would you give to her what should she how should she find her voice get to know the people in your company. I feel like um, a lot of, like the, everyone gets bogged down on the rules and the nuances and what does the HR booklet say and what are my levels and how do I get to the next level and that's all cool and that's all fine. Um, but you need to understand people psychologically and the fact that everyone likes to be around people that are cool, right? Um, and so if you do not build relationships within your organization, um, and if you do not know who is the decision maker um, and how to build a relationship with them, you will forever just, you know, be in your standard review cycle. And, you know, it, it will be a very, like, very standard bureaucratic path as you move up in your career. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But if you can, you can look at your org chart and you can understand these are the decision makers within my org. This is sort of what I can, uh, these are the people that I need to, you know, start building relationships with and start doing that. Then you will see like a completely different career trajectory. And I think that's one thing that people, early kids don't focus on. Yeah, I think Building your network. It's... Oh, no, no, no. I think... But I think that that's a really key point, I think, because what a lot of younger engineers, especially women, don't realize is it's not enough to be a better software programmer. That's 
really not how you get ahead. You get ahead by impacting the direction of the company. And a lot of people go, oh, I'm not in sales, I can't do that. Like, no, no, no. If you have an idea that makes it better and get that actioned, that's how that's having a that's having a wider impact. It's not just being good at your you know the thing that you, what you is employed to do. You know, the, the, the right. it is having a not a vision, but it's sort of taking ownership of something and having the ability to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, forty percent really, honestly really is your talent of what you can do. Like actually, like oh, your your PR, you 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 do good PR reviews, or your code is clean, the comments are good, whatever. Sixty percent of it is your relationships in the company. And how you build your network inside and outside of the company and what kind of influence you have. And that is your career. And as you grow, that needs to compound, um, you know, and you realize that, you know, as you get more senior in, in your career, there's less people that can mentor you because you're you're getting so high up, right? And so it's actually quite lonely actually, up at the top. <laughs> Everyone's learning from you, right? Which is... Actually, loneliness is interesting, I think. One of the things I, 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 when I, whenever I get into a meeting and I look around and they're like, oh, wow, I really am the only senior woman engineer. Normally, normally the only woman engineer is lonely. I'm pushing through that. Is because then that just perpetuates the culture even more, right? Like, yeah, you have some discomfort early on because you spoke up, whatever, but slowly people start realizing that this is not okay. And you'd be surprised how many people like have the same feelings as you, but they just haven't been able to articulate it. Useful because it is, it's not about fitting in, which is a mistake I made early in my career. I didn't find my voice. I was very much like, I will fit in. I will be uh, one of the good ones. You know, I won't complain about sexism. I'll just tell, you know, laugh at sexist jokes. I won't push back. And that is absolutely the wrong thing way, a way to approach that situation. Um, the other piece of advice that I would give to like early uh, software engineer, 20 years old, um, just because you got um, you have a software engineering degree doesn't mean that's what you need to do for the rest of your life. Like I think engineering gives you really good building blocks to like take really complex, um, ambiguous problems, break them down into absolutely. smaller solvable chunks. Totally. And, you know, um, iterate on those solutions. And I think that from a framework perspective can be used in any role, right? And so do software engineering. If you're absolutely in love, passionate about it, great, continue with it. Um, if you want to try out design, if you want to try out product, if you want to try out other things, don't be afraid to make those jumps, especially early on in your career, right? Um, and so, and your network and your relationships will help you make those jumps. Like I've gone from engineering to product marketing, to product management, to QA, to being a founder, um, you know, as, as someone who has a software engineering background. Um, and a lot of it wasn't me ever doing a formal interview. Like I never, whenever I did a career shift I, within an organization, I never went through a formal interview process. It was literally someone throwing me in a conference room being like, hey, we have this spot. We heard you were interested. You seem smart and cool to work with. You want to try it? And I'm like, yeah, cool. I'll try it. Done. You know? So that's also something to think about. Out of sort of core backhead engineering for a couple of years and do something very customer focused, very different, actually get experience of how things are sold and how professional services engagements work. Um, just because it gives you an enormous amount of appreciation for how, you know, what you're doing in the quote-unquote code mine, how that actually finds its way into 
the hands of humans who use it and yeah so if we if we got you back in five years time what would you hope to see what, what changes would you hope to have have lived through apart from you know killing all the zombies Oh, well, I mean, number one, killing all the zombies. Um, I think um, I would have hoped to live through definitely, uh, like, income parity. Um, right now, there's such a gap between, um, you know, what men earn, women earn, and, and it gets even wider and wider and wider um, as you go further on into your career, right? And women work so hard like if not harder because a lot of the times they have to manage stuff at home and still they don't miss a beat at work right um and so uh, seeing that disparity breaks my heart and i really appreciate companies like slack who it will actually never negotiate on comp um and so if you go and interview at slack there's a standard comp for everyone you can negotiate on equity but comp is comp and that's it right um and they they do this because they know women don't tend to negotiate as much as as much as men do and they just take whatever, right? And so um, if you're really gonna, like a lot of these companies have these like DNI initiatives and oh, we're gonna like pump the top of the funnel and look like we got like 50 women um, to like apply for this role and we hired 10 of them and now our engineering org is whatever, that's great, right? But are you paying them the same amount as you're paying their male counterparts? Um, are you giving them, um, you know, the, the same um, like, um, uh, what is it, benefits that actually allow them to work and succeed in their roles longer term, you know, so that they can get promoted to director, they can get promoted to VP, they can get on the C-suite. Like, I want to see more women in the C-suite. We're solving a lot for these, like, we're, we have coding camps, that's great. We have top of the funnel, we're, like, getting there, that's awesome, right? Um, but as, as women are progressing through, let's actually see them to the end, right? And give them the benefits they need to get there and give them the pay that they deserve. Um, and so I think that would be my number one hope that five years from now, I see that shift happening and it's not right now. It's just a checkbox to be honest with you. Like everyone's just like, let's just partner with some coding camp down the street, uh, for women, for black women. Um, and great. Like we got the intersectionality check, check, check. DNI is great. Okay. Move on. Um, uh, <laughs> no, that's not okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's actually be real about it. Um, and that's, that's what I'm hoping we. Thanks for taking the time out.